Would you take your Bibles and open them to Psalm 88? Psalm 88. I think this psalm has been dear to my heart lately because I believe God is teaching me how to be desperate for him. And so it's been on my heart, so I figured, why not preach on it? Follow along with me. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You... You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your works known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Psalm 88 has been called the bleakest psalm in the entire collection. Michael Wilcox calls this psalm Quote, one long, desperate cry. Charles Spurgeon said in his Treasury of David that this author is a child crying alone in the darkness when all else has vanished. It is the plea of a man in desperate need. The prayer of a man who finds himself at the lowest point in his entire life. Many psalms will go to the bleak place, the the despair or the hopeless. For example, in Psalm 55, David is writing, he's praying and singing, and he talks about how 
kind of in the middle of the psalm, all my enemies are around me, evil is oppressing me, it feels like they're going to win, so it gets really depressing, but by the end of the psalm, what happens? What? Well, the psalmist turns to trust in God. That, that's frequent in the psalms. David says, I'm going to trust in you no matter how hard things get. I'm going to believe in you. But not so with Psalm 88. Literally, darkness is the last word. The author is a man named Heman. He's a son of Korah. That's in the, the uh, entry there. It tells us who the author is. That's inspired scripture as well. Verse 1 is technical. In fact, if you're looking at a Hebrew Bible, verse 1 is there. That's why, never mind. But that's verse 1, technically. So Heman is the son of Korah. More than likely, he was a singer with David, a friend of David. He's a Levite who teaches others how to worship and also prophesied as a seer. God gave him visions. He knew God. He worshiped God. He was a Levite who sung in the courts. That's who we're talking about, Heman. You can read about him in 2 Chronicles, mentioned, for example, in chapter 35 with David. He's a singer. Heman is in a miserable place as he poetically prays. This is not someone sitting down and writing out all the facts that they know about God or developing a systematic theology about God or writing a devotion for people to go on his website and read the blog. This is a man pleading to God with utterances that are almost too deep for words. We've felt it as we read through the psalm, the agony, the despair, the heartache, the confusion even. He's confused. He feels like he is as good as dead. Like the entire world is against him. Like all of his friends have left him. All of his loved ones have said, you know what, I'm giving up on you. And he even turns to God and he says, what about you, God? You're doing all of this. You put me in this place. He feels like God has cut him off. And in our human condition, at times we can relate a little bit with this desperate plea. But it's hard to read Psalm 88. I should have said this after I read it. I should have said, the word of the Lord. And seen how enthusiastically you said, thanks be to God. Because when we read Psalm 88, it just feels hopeless. But I want to show you this morning is this. We need Heman's prayer. Even as followers of Jesus Christ, we need the most desperate prayer in all of the Psalms. It needs to be in your arsenal when you go to pray to God. Just like Psalm 23. Psalm 23 should be in your mind so that you can express to God those words as you pray to him. Psalm 88 is a weapon that you have to communicate something so important to the Father. So I'm going to show you why you need Psalm 88. 
The prayer begins with the theological statement. What is that statement? Look at verse 1. What does he begin with? Who is God? O Lord. O Lord, God of my salvation. That is the key to the rest of this prayer. That is what he believes. So although the tone of the prayer is despair and tragedy, the first thing Heman notes is his commitment to this truth. God is the Savior. God rescues. God saves the desperate. God comes to those who are broken. God can lift me up. Dane Ortland, he wrote this, quote, When life hurts, we immediately find ourselves at an internal fork in the road. Either we put all our weight on our theology, or we let our hearts calcify and harden. So when Heman gets to this place of pain and this place of brokenness, we don't know everything that's going on in his life, but it looks pretty bad. And when he gets there, he doesn't write God off. He doesn't say, forget it, God. I'll just figure it out on my own. Instead, he leans his life on this truth. God can save me. Oh, Lord, oh, Yahweh, God of my salvation. No matter what's going on or how hard things are, or even why he is where he is, Heman resolves to pray to God all day long, every day, until, verse 2, may my prayer come before you, incline your heart to me, incline your ear to me. And that word incline, it means to reach out or to stretch out, like it would be used in other places of reaching out your hand and grabbing something. So Heman is saying, I'm going to pray and pray and pray and pray until you, God, come to me. You need to reach out to me. You need to come and meet me where I am. Why such a desperate plea? What's going on in this man's life? Well, it begins to explain. He begins to explain his situation in verse 3. He says, my life is full of troubles. Full of trouble. Things are so bad, in fact, that he feels like his body is a magnet being attracted to death. It's like, you know, you hold the magnets together just close enough for the, you know, like this. That's what he feels like his life is being pulled to the grave, to Sheol, left in a pit. His situation has left him helpless and without strength. He isn't dead, but he's as good as dead. He's got nothing left. He feels slain even. And then in verse 5, he says, I feel like you've forgotten me. Like you've cut me off. Heman thinks God is up to something in all of this. Actually, he knows that God is doing something. 
He knows that the misery he is feeling, the pain he is going through, the sense of loss and loneliness and death that crowds around him is by the hand of God. Look what he says, verse 7, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says, your wrath lies heavy upon me. Let's go back to verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Verse 8, you have caused, you have made. God, you have done this. So why would God do, why would God bring Heman to a place of desperation, of death, of feeling all alone and broken? There's two, at least two clues for us. First is this word, wrath. The word is primarily used to explain God's response to sin. God's wrath. It's, it's his movement towards sin to punish sin. God's wrath. In Psalm 6 verse 1, we're told that God's wrath causes him to discipline sinners. In Isaiah 66, 15, we're told that God will come in wrath to destroy sin. And what we need to know about God's wrath is it's never given out disproportionately. God never misapplies his wrath onto a sinner. So if you're feeling God's wrath, if Heman is feeling God's wrath, he deserves it in the measure he is getting it. Do you get that? The second key here is the word troubles back up in verse 3. This word troubles, it can mean just general destruction, distress. But most often in our Hebrew Bible, it's used to explain trouble that God brings about. Trouble that God puts on someone because of their sin. Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 11. God says to the prophet, Now therefore say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Okay? God, as you read Jeremiah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Judah are in a tight spot. Though they know God, they know the ways of God, they know how they're to live with God, they have rejected God. They are trusting in false gods. They are sinning. They are meant to be like this with God, but they're pulling away. And he says, say to these sinful people, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you. Same word, trouble. I'm shaping up some trouble for you. And he is devising a plan against you. That's how he's responding to his covenant people who have chose to live in sin. Shaping up some trouble for them. So, here's what's going on. What Heman is confessing here, what he's opening up to God about in his misery, is the fact that he is where he is. He's experiencing what he's experiencing because of his willful choice to sin against God. He's guilty of sin. He's broken fellowship with God in rebellion. He's gone the way that God would not have him go. 
James Hamilton puts it this way, quote, He implicitly acknowledges his own sin and consequent guilt as he recognizes that his misery stems from the fact that God's wrath leans upon him. The pain of his circumstances has clarified his vision, giving him spiritual insight, eliminating distractions and excuses, and bringing him to the point where he recognizes God's justice against his sin. That's why Heman is in misery. Though he knows the goodness of God, he has chosen something else. Though he has prophesied for God, he has turned in some way towards sin. Though he worships God as a Levite, in some area in his life, he's walking in darkness. He's been brought to this deep awareness of a sin or sins in his life. He has clarity. And so he's saying, God, I'm at this place because of you. Because I would dare say he would maybe put in here, because you love me. We'll get to that in a moment in Hebrews 12. But he's lifting his hands the right direction. And he's calling upon the God who does what? Verse 1, who saves. You get that? He is struggling in sin. He's confessing that. You're disciplining me, Father. And he's not telling God, I'm going to figure it out on my own, God. I'll just try harder. I'll worship better. You know, I'll get more accountability in my life. His only hope is the God who has saved him and who can save him. And so he lifts his hands to the Lord. Verse 10, this is 10, 11, and 12. This is the middle, this is the mountaintop of the psalm. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Heman is wondering, Heman is wondering, do I have any hope if I am dead under the weight of my sin? Do I have any hope if God's wrath needs to punish my sin? If I have departed from God's presence, is there any way, can your faithfulness find me? Can your love reach me? Can your righteousness change things for me? Will you take someone who knew you but turned from you and turn me back to praise you? Can that happen? If I die, can you still save me? That's what he's asking God. Is my sin too much? And here with hands raised all day long, every day, he man, the sinner, is begging God to intervene, to change the course, to rescue him, to lift him up out of this place. Verse 13, But I, O Lord, cry to you, in the morning my prayer comes before you. He's not giving up. You see that? All day I cry for you. And then it's like he walks through this darkness that he's feeling. He goes through this struggle. He's in Sheol in the pit. And then morning comes and what's he up to? What's he still doing? He's praying. I'm not going to stop. Daytime, nighttime, morning. I'm begging you 
to save me. In this struggle, please rescue me. Hebrews 12 will tell us, set your eyes on the founder and perfecter of your faith, Jesus Christ. Hugely important verse. But then that chapter goes on to say, if you are struggling with sin, and if you have sin encroaching in your life and it's an issue for you and you're struggling with this sin or that sin and you feel like maybe God's disciplining you, He is because He loves you. And guess what the answer is? Put your eyes back on the founder and perfecter of your faith. And so that's kind of what Haman in this Old Testament way is feeling, the the loving discipline of a father who's trying to pull him out of the pit. And then He-Man continues to be real about his situation, the weight of his sin. He goes on, he says, I'm helpless. Your wrath is coming after me. This this imagery that that Jonah uses, not Jonah Saller, but Jonah, the other Jonah, that, that the waves of God's wrath are flooding over him. That's what he says. And then the psalm ends with darkness. We are all He-Man. We're in desperate need of God's movement toward us. Thomas Cranmer would call us and ask us to pray, we are miserable offenders. Romans 1 says, God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness. Then in Romans 3, Paul would tell you, you are unrighteous. Ephesians 2 would say, Unless God intervenes, unless God inclines his heart to us, we are dead. Just like Haman here. Dead in our trespasses and sins. Totally helpless. We only have one hope, just like Haman. We are helpless to save ourselves, to defeat the power of death, to find freedom from the pit. Without God, we have only darkness. No hope for tomorrow, no peace today. We're destined for wrath. So, our cry needs to be, O Lord, God of my salvation, hear my prayer. Would you again incline your heart to me? He-man's prayer seems to go unanswered. As if God didn't move toward him so that he was lost in darkness. But the truth is, God inclined his heart to He-man well before he opened his mouth to pray. God made the first move, not this poet, because God promised sinful man the minute that his image bearers turned from him in rebellion, the minute they chose sin in darkness and death, he promised that he would save them. For you see, even though man had sinned against God by rejecting his person and his ways and his love and his authority, even though God's wrath is revealed against sinners and coming after sinners, this same God, the offended God, promised to rescue the offenders. He promised salvation through a son who would be born into the world and who would bring salvation even, listen, even by taking Haman's prayer on his own lips. St. Augustine said, the only way we can make sense of Psalm 88 is if we see Jesus praying it. 
Jesus, the, the Christ, the Redeemer, the very movement of God to incline his heart to us, to save us. Jesus came to earth to take the place of He-Man. Though he lived a perfect life without sin, though he never ran from God, enjoyed evil, Jesus, he heard the cry of a world lost in sin, and he came. He bore our troubles in his own body. Remember, that word troubles is God brings that upon the sinner. Well, Jesus took that trouble for us. He was counted among the wicked, and he withheld his strength in divinity to be slain in his humanity. He was slain and tossed into a grave. His companions deserted him. Did Jesus feel alone on the cross? Yes. And the wrath of God was poured out onto Jesus like waves washing over him. Jesus would say in Mark 10, he says, you cannot drink the cup that I'm going to drink. You cannot be baptized with the baptism to which I will be baptized. And what he was talking about is the wrath he would take for us. The wrath of way, these wrath, wrathful waves that would flush over him and destroy him, to kill him. He would take that for us. And here he even says, I cannot escape. Jesus chose not to escape. Remember, he's taunted. Ah, he can save himself. Get off the cross. You can do it. But Jesus says, no, I choose not to escape so that sinners can escape. His soul was cast into utter darkness so that our souls could be raised to life. He was forsaken so that we could be remembered. And in Jesus' death on the cross, God heard the cry of his creation in need of salvation, and he inclined his heart to us to redeem us. So yeah, verse 10, 11, 12, all of these questions, God does work wonders for the dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. God works wonders for the dead. The departed who have run so long in sin can return to praise God. The steadfast love of God and the faithfulness of God is shown even in destruction because in the destruction of his son Jesus, we are given life and peace. The wonders of God are known in the darkness for the Savior. He, he says in here, I feel like I'm let loose among the dead. That's what Heman says. Jesus was let loose among the dead so that he could bring us to everlasting life by faith in his great name. And this last prayer is like, can righteousness be found? In Jesus Christ, righteousness can be found. Even for us who are unrighteousness, in living in unrighteousness, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, Jesus, who knew no sin, took sin in himself so that by faith in him we could become the righteousness of God. And so what we see here is the shape of the Christian life. Heman knows God. He's walked with God. He's praised God as a Levite. And yet he's struggling under the wrath of God and the discipline of God. And he's turning and he's confessing to God. He's saying, I still believe in you. Please keep saving me. Rescue me from this misery. Help me to get out of this rut. To find life again. 
When Martin Luther, the German reformer, nailed his 95 complaints against the Catholic Church to a wooden door in Germany, do you know what the first thesis was? He said, the very first complaint, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So we must join him in, in abandoning all our hope in ourselves and what we're doing and what we're accomplishing and cry daily to the Lord of salvation. Turning our eyes to him every moment. Jesus is your only hope every breath you take. So when we see the dirt of sin getting into our lives, when we're struggling with a certain temptation, we feel overcome, when we feel the loving discipline of our Father on us, we must say, O Lord God of my salvation, incline your heart to me. Incline your ear to me. Save me. C.S. Lewis wrote a letter in 1942, and he said this, listen. No amount of falls will really undo us if we keep picking ourselves up each time. What he's talking about is if, we keep, if we're still willing to call out to God. He goes on and says, We shall, of course, be very muddied and tattered children by the time we reach home. But the bathrooms are all ready, the towels are put out, and the clean clothes are drying in the cupboard. The only fatal thing is to lose one's temper and give it up. It is when we notice the dirt that God is most present to us. It's the very sign of his presence. And so Heman here is a man who sees the dirt of sin in his life and he's not giving up. Because he knows, hey, God, you're not going to give up on me. You're the God of salvation. So I turn and I cry to you. So here's what I want to leave you with, my dear friends. Live lives of repentance. Acknowledging with the psalm the dirt of sin and crying out to God daily, O God of my salvation, hear my prayer. Knowing this, he is very near to you. He's very near to you. And in response, live lives of faith. Trusting that the darkness will not win, the grave will not hold you down, the wrath of God that is aimed at sin has been taken by your Savior, Jesus Christ. All by the work of Jesus Christ. Who lived the prayer of Heman, who lived the prayer of every desperate sinner so that we could be freed to live with God forever. Let's pray. Merciful Father, we pray that you'd hear our prayer. We are in need of the cross every breath, every moment. For we know it's victory over sin and death. We know that at the cross, Jesus, Jesus' blood washed, washed us clean. And by the cross, we can walk in newness of life. But in this world, the we know that sin has a way to whittle its way back into our lives. And so we pray in the name of Jesus, the powerful name of Jesus, that we would rest in the truth that we have salvation, 
And that by our forgiveness and by our faith in him, you would help us to take steps away from sin and toward you. And that you would even equip us to share this good news with those around us who are in desperate need of a Savior as well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.